When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. A couple of hours after we recorded today's podcast, the devastating news of Bob Willis's passing was made public. Willis, a former England captain, one of England's greatest ever fast bowlers and a beloved pundit, died at the age of 70 after a short illness. Rest in peace, Bob. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Before we start the show, how does the offer of free beer sound to you? As a loyal listener, we'd like to reward you with just that, free beer. Thanks to our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers from all around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom and cover just £4.95 for the postage. What's more, Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast listeners get two extra free beers. So that's a total of 10 free beers. It's an incredible deal. We've had them delivered to the office already. You also get a free 100-page magazine and snack too. So make sure you go to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom to get those 10 beers, magazine and snack delivered to your front door for just £4.95. That does sound amazing. Anyway, on with the show. I'm Azrana, and with me today is Wisdom's Ben Gardner and the magazine editor of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine, Joe Harmon. Welcome, welcome. It's December. You feeling festive? Looking forward to the Boxing Day tests? Yeah, I've actually ordered some beer52.com oh, slash Wisdom Beer as a, <laughs> as a present at home. Someone, so. Really? Yeah. yeah. It, is, it is genuinely quite an incredible deal. Yeah. Um, let's talk about cricket. We're going to start with my moment of the week. Joe Denley's drop catch was one of the worst drops of all time. Still makes me cringe. Yeah. I've watched that at least 50 times. Yeah. And it's every time I think Shawley's going to catch it this time. It was really, really dreadful. It reminded me of my worst moment on the cricket field where I was fielding at mid-on and I had a catch about as easy as that. I was captain at the time and I just basically in my mind I'd caught it and was thinking about the next thing and that's obviously what had, what had happened with, with Denley because otherwise, I mean, that is inexplicable isn't it to drop a catch like that and then the kind of the the mirth in the commentary box and just the laughter afterwards mm. it was just one of those moments that I hope Joe Denley does go on to score a test hundred so that becomes the moment he's remembered for rather yeah. than that drop catch I think he's gonna have to score quite a few test hundreds for, for that Maybe. to be I'm what trying to interview him at the moment as well I'm trying to get hold of him I think he might have his head down for the next few days it's such a tragedy with the ball as well like imagine deceiving basically the world's most technically sound batsman like so completely <laughs> with like a like a like incredible knuckleball, and then it being basically completely forgotten because Joe Denley drops an absolute, an absolute sitter. I remember, did Martin Crow once say something like, 
Kane Williams has more catches dropped off him because he always looks so good and so secure that you just kind of like switch there, off there is when he's batting. Like that, yeah. <laughs> this would be quite a spectacular instance of it, but maybe there's, <laughs> maybe there's something in that. Maybe we should give some credit to the, to the batsman here. But at least, at least it didn't matter, really. I mean, Ar- Archer mm. might feel differently. That was a chance to get Kane Williamson out. But imagine if you do that in the heat of an Ashes Test match with a match on the line. Nathan Lyon. I mean, then you're, yeah, well, Nathan Lyon, yeah, good, good point. Your career might as well be done, but mm. um, luckily Archer could laugh that off. Mm. Well, England and New Zealand drew the second and final test of their series in Hamilton, meaning that the home side took the series 1-0. We'll try not to dwell too long on that test. I'll refer you to the 10 daily podcast we did through the series for a slightly more detailed analysis of the series. But Ben, what were your overall impressions of the tour from an English perspective? Um, they passed 400 in the first innings for the first time in two years. Rory Burns further established himself at the top of the order. Root was back in the runs. Pope scored his first Test 50. There were some positives from an English perspective. Yeah, I think it probably went about roughly as as you'd expect, I think. I mean, New Zealand went into it thinking they were quite clearly the better side and they, they showed that. England did show more so in the second Test, obviously, that they can bat long even having done it on the first day of the first Test and then thrown it away I think it was it was more encouraging once they'd got the platform they kind of kept going for a while batting quite slowly I think on the fourth morning they batted pretty slowly for quite a long time didn't they Mm. and it was quite dull to watch but also encouraging because that's what you kind of need to do and what New Zealand did on in the first test Uh, I think the the, the one worrying thing would be that Dom Sibley hasn't looked at as at home as people might have hoped he would looking at his county record this season I think he's still obviously go to South Africa uh, hopefully get like all four tests there but uh yeah, I think some people might have expected him to come on and like just nail his spot straight away and that hasn't quite happened and that'll be the, the biggest worrying sign for England going forward, I think. He's, he's only had three innings though and he kind of did his job in a way in the first test match, back through the new ball. It was um, a promising start in that first innings. I was feel, feeling quite positive about that that Burns-Sibley partnership but the Sibley's dismissals were concerning but I mean, how many batsmen have gone on to have successful careers who had technical deficiencies that they needed to sort out in their first few innings. I mean, so many. Just look at Rory Burns Mm. as a recent example um, and how comfortable he looks, having looked so uncomfortable against a fairly mediocre Irish attack only a few months earlier. So we've just picked our teams for wisdom.com and already a few people have said, oh, keep him Sibley and he's not going to get any runs at test level. Well, you don't know that. uh, And certainly three knocks is by no means enough of a a chance to to see whether he can or not. England, for a while, have had the problem of taking 20 wickets in overseas test matches. Uh, before the series, a lot was expected of Joffre Archer, who it was thought he'd finally be the person who could rip through teams on docile pitches with kookaburra balls. It didn't quite happen for him, did it? But again, that was his first two tests overseas and only his second and third first-class matches overseas. Yeah, I, mean, I was a bit frustrated when with his opening spell uh, in the first innings of the second test because I just thought if he's not going to bowl... We can't expect him to bowl in 90 miles an hour all the time, but if he's not, then I thought Wokes or Curran should have should have taken the, no, the new ball. But you do have to remember that Archer is still finding his feet, and I do worry about the level of expectations for him. As well, people are saying, well, those pitches don't suit him, just wait till Australia, he'll clean up there. Well, that's going to be a real challenge for him as well. The pitches obviously will, will suit his style of bowling more, mm. but he hasn't got that experience to fall back on. He's got unbelievable talent, he's got good experience in pressure cooker atmosphere of, of the IPL and other T20 leagues but he is still learning his way I wouldn't point too many things at, fingers at um, England's attack in the series from from what I saw I thought really they sh- it should have been a nil-nil draw this series based on those two pitches I think England's uh, batting failings uh, were more of an issue here um, 
And if England had left with a nil-nil draw, I don't think anyone would have complained particularly. And, and the fact they didn't is more down to their batsmen than their bowlers. Yeah, I, I think the new ball point is an interesting one. You look at Australia, Pat Cummins is their best bowler and he doesn't take the new ball because he doesn't need it as much to be successful. But for me, the thing that was most concerning wasn't the pace of the new ball. It was on the third morning of that first test when uh, Jarrett delayed introducing him. And it felt like if any, if, if there was ever a moment where you wanted someone of Joffre Archer's speed and skill set to just kind of like crank it up for five overs when he's in a really well set it was then and he just didn't do it and it's just I, just I just can't really work out work out why if it does if he if he does need something to get him going to get to to actually reach those speeds or, or why it was, it was just odd basically it's almost it's also how much his speed drops I mean all mm. fast bowlers drop a little bit they can't bowl at 100 miles I'm oh, sorry 100% all the time but his is a massive drop off so it's not just that things aren't quite feeling right. It's definitely a, it's a, it's a different mentality. He's decided that he's not going to go all out on those days. And it'd be really interesting to talk to him about this and, and find out what the factors are that make him decide on any given day whether he bowls flat out or whether he bowls 75%, because it was 75% for, for a lot of the time in New Zealand. Yeah, and I wonder if it's a feature of being like... Because you, you could would have a lot of success for Sussex bowling... 82 miles an hour still with the accuracy that he was bowling uh, he would be able to like get quite a lot of batsmen out just with that in county cricket and if it's kind of that learning curve that for Sussex dropping down to that level has been fine but he's going to have to realise he can only drop down a bit at international cricket to have the, the same success I guess but, yeah. also if you're if you're asked to bowl 42 overs it's very difficult to bowl anywhere near 100% for 42 overs how, how often do fast bowlers bowl more than 40 overs in, a, in an innings yeah but by the time of that first bell on the second morning he wasn't anywhere close True. to or, sorry on the third morning he wasn't anywhere close to 42 overs in mm. but I think maybe it, it was tough because Joe maybe did over bowl all the bowls towards the end I mean Joe Denny didn't bowl at all in that first test no, which is a bit odd um, but also if England were going to draw that game they kind of needed to keep keeping the run rate down and the only way to do that was by using their their first choice bowlers so it was yeah, a tough one How much do you think we should look into the non-selection of Jack Leach in the second test it's the first time England have gone into a test without a front line spinner since the Headingley test against South Africa in 2012 do you think that shows kind of lack of faith in Jack Leach from Joe Root's perspective well he didn't look like taking wickets in the first test from, from I what I saw I thought he bowled alright like he kept he kept things by and large quite tight he bowled uh, oddly for a left arm spinner I thought he looked more dangerous against the left hander than the right hander okay. I thought he bowled alright yeah, I mean, I would have picked him. I think it, it, it's always useful to have that spinner. I, I think this idea that while well, Root and Denley can fill in, it doesn't doesn't really cut it. That that should be a bonus. That shouldn't be a, a reason that you pick your side on that basis. Um, it is a bit concerning for Leach, but I think, especially with South Africa to come, Moen probably to come back into the squad, Leach is likely to slip back down to, to second choice spinner, mm. I would have thought. But then Sri Lanka comes and then he'll be crucial to that to that England side he bowled really well out there last time um, and that's really where we're going to be judging Leach I think rather than a, a series in New Zealand where spinners do horrendously out there the, the, the thing that counted against him was that Santner managed to take wickets in, in that first test and, and Santner is not as good a bowler as, as Leach in theory mm. but I don't think we should judge Leach as a test bowler on, on this on a solitary test match in New Zealand really Do we know it as well I mean I know he came down with gastroenteritis during the second test, is it, is it possible he was feeling under the weather, heading into it, and England sort of just made a decision on balance that you might not get through it on the? I don't think there's been that suggestion. Okay, right, fine. Um, and I'm, I'm no medical expert, but having googled 
uh, what, was it, what was the disease he got? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> really hard. Like, uh, <laughs> you get it very quickly and it's quite dramatic. So you can go from having no symptoms in the morning to feeling really quite quite dreadful okay. in the well, late afternoon. Thank you, Dr. But Yaz. If you have you. any complaints yeah. that you'd like to write in about, then yeah, Yaz will Google them for you. I do feel, though, that although Santa did find some help on this pitch, uh, from what it looked like on days three and four, I don't think Mo and Ali would have had a great deal of success in that first test. And I think he would have gone for more runs. So I think there is a, yeah. a point to be made. And, and so even when it comes to... Even Australia, I sort of think that considering how much Murnay struggled there last time and he is a cricketer that uh, like confidence is so dependent or he's so dependent on confidence for what he does and might well go into that short of confidence just because of how badly it went last time. Leach could be an option there if Parkinson isn't yet deemed fully ready at that point. That's a long way away. Uh, but just as someone who you can kind of rely on who will be able to keep the runs down, which I think is going to be an important thing when it comes to securing draws which is what actually England are going to need because England aren't going to win three tests in Australia I don't think but if they can win two and draw two then they mm. won the series you know absolutely I'd much rather have Jack Leach on the kind of pitching the face in that first test match than Moeen Ali mm. we talked about this in one of the daily pods there have been quite a few test matches in the last three years where England have conceded 600-ish but if they've gone at three and a half runs and over four runs and over and you've had individual bowlers going at four or five in that first test, everyone was around about three and over. New Zealand went at three and over and you did the maths on it. It basically saved England a session so yeah. when they were trying to bat out the game. Yeah, England almost saved a draw despite not batting that well. Mm. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, th- and this is why I would point a finger at the batsmen rather than the yeah. bowlers in this series. Well, England is set to name their squad for the South Africa tour later this week. Yesterday, we each had a go at picking our own 16-man squads for wisdom.com. Ben, do you, wanna, do you remember your squad? And then do you want to justify it? Yeah, it'll be a good test if I can remember it. So my my starting 11 was Burns, Sibley, Denley, Root, uh, Stokes, Pope, Butler, Moeen, Archer, Broad, Anderson, I think. And then... Mine was the same as well, okay. which is nice and easy. My supporting five were Milan, which is the interesting pick, I guess. Wood, Leach, uh, Bairstow... And Wokes. Um, no, and Curran. Curran was the, was the last one. Uh, so, yeah, you didn't have Wokes in your squad. Yeah. Which I, is I think that, harsh. Yeah, it I is harsh. he bowled well in New Zealand. Yeah, I thought he did bowl well in New Zealand. But I think that overall, on pitches away from home, I, ba- I basically backed the other seamers to do it more. I think you, you do have to take, like, consider everything Wokes has done away from home rather than just those two. And I think that in the overall struggles, when England do have actually quite a lot of depth in that pace ball department when, when everyone's fit. I think obviously this depends on how fit they judge Wood to be, but I would definitely back Mark Wood to take more wickets in South Africa than Chris Wokes. And I'd back Sam Curran to contribute to test wins more than Chris Wokes. It's quite a big if though, isn't it? It would be yeah, sure, fit. Yeah, and so it also be having Anderson in your squad as well. I, yeah. mean, that's, I just don't think you can have Anderson and Wood in your same 16-man squad because you're just going to have to have another standby bowler. Yeah, I... I can see that. I guess I feel like if if one of them breaks down, they would just call someone else up. Yeah, in the same team is maybe going to be tough unless. I'm, but I mean, also it's just so hard to to tell with these people, and you've got to in the end trust the, the the experts, I guess, on how fit they judge these guys to be. So I would like this is with the caveat that they are both as fit as they kind of can be, and I think if they're as fit as they can, but you can trust them to get through two tests, say, or, or at least it's reasonable to suggest they should be able to do that. Why have you picked David Milan? Uh, yeah, so I think what... So the one thing with the seamers, and this leads onto it, is that um, it's very tempting to basically pick all of them because that's where England have depth and you kind of... You'd feel unfair leaving Chris Wokes out, which is unfair to leave Chris Wokes out, really. 
But you've got to look at overseas test squad as like covering for every base, I think. So uh, the big the big question mark still for England is over Sibley. I think if he struggles in those first two tests and England are 1-0 down, they're probably going to want to leave him out, at which point you probably want Denley to move up to open. I don't think there's another guy who could do the backup opener job as well as him. And then you're looking at another number three. And I just, I know that like Bairstow has done it before, but I don't think he's suited for that. And I don't think Pope is ready to move up. So I think that Milan, even if it's just for this tour, is the guy to step into that role if needs be. It's kind of, I think it's sort of pragmatic. And like, I don't think, I don't know if Milan will play another test even, but I think he should be in that squad basically just for that reason. Interesting. Joe, what about you? Uh, so my 11 was the same as Ben's 11. Um, but then my support cast was, I've recalled Bairstow, but just as a batsman. He's not going anywhere near the gloves. He's just the backup batsman covering positions three to six. Ideally, don't want him batting at three, but he covers those positions with Denley as the backup opener um, if Sibley's form kind of falls off a cliff. Uh, and then I've got folks there as well. So from England having had kind of no wicket keepers in New Zealand, I'm taking four to South Africa. But again, Pope is not there to keep wicket. So Pope just focuses on his batting. Folks is there as purely the backup wicket keeper. Uh, with a view to him doing that job in, in Sri Lanka where he kept so brilliantly last time and I think his skills scan, standing up to the stumps will be crucial. Butler looks a bit rusty as a keeper so I'm, I've got a few concerns about Butler doing it in Sri Lanka. Um, and then I've got Leach as my backup spinner and then uh, Curran and Wokes. And Wood is obviously so tempting to, to pick particularly when you think back to what he did in, in St Lucia. Um, but he hasn't played in a long time. Um, I'd focus on getting Anderson fully fit having the rest of the Curran and Wokes fully fit backups and then you've got Wood on standby um, if he can prove his fitness and it's a four test series so there is a chance for someone else to come in if, if needs be So who, who bats three for you if Denny does have to move up to open? Um, well it would be between Besto and Pope which is ne- neither of which is ideal um, but I go into that series as, as Sibley as my opener for four, for four tests um, I know things can change quite, quite quickly and if it looks like he's not going to buy a run then maybe you do have to look at it but that's still not very many innings. If he gets through that whole series with three innings in New Zealand, that's still barely enough to judge an opening batsman on. So I would go in there thinking, Sibley plays all four tests. Um, Denley comes in if there's a if there's a broken finger as an opener, and then you've got uh, Pope and Bairstow potentially coming in at three. Fair enough. Yes, your squad? Very similar. So I've got the same top seven as you guys. Then my eight, nine, ten, eleven are Moeen, Joffre, Markwood, and Jimmy Anderson. And my reserves are Ben Folks, Jack Leach, Stuart Broad, Chris Wokes and Sam Curran. So I've picked all the big name seamers. Uh, I put Wood straight into 11. I think if they are fit, they are the most exciting three pace bowlers we have away from home. I think they could be the most damaging as well. Uh, I'm taking all the bowlers because you've got two sets of back-to-back test matches. So I think you're going to need the reserves. Um, I see your point about who bats three if Sibley gets dropped and Denley goes to the top. Folks is my backup batsman and he's my backup keeper as well. I think he is would not disgrace himself as an emergency number three if, if we needed to. Um, every time he's played for England, he's not, he's never let them down. Um, he's got a solid technique. I think he'd he'd be fine. Yeah, I personally think that's a stretch to suggest Ben Folks could be a Test match number three. I mean, he averaged twenty seven for Sire with the bat this summer. I think that does. I, I I think people are taking that number at face value too much. So I think there's no way that can't have been dented by him doing so well for England. And then basically being told he's never going to be picked again because the guys from four to eight are all undroppable, mm. no matter how badly they do. But I think that folks at three 
I think if, if folks are batting at number three at any point in the series, I think England are probably on their way to losing the series, personally. Um, no, yeah, 100%. But I don't, I, I don't think there's any difference having Ben folks or... Or Besto, uh, yeah, Besto, I see that at three. three. Yeah, or, or, we just come around to the, the point we already knew that England don't, don't have really that have that many <laughs> options at, at number three, and, yeah. and Denley's done better than most would would expect. But from Dad Milan, yeah, yeah Dad well, Milan, yeah, he didn't do that well in his test career either. So I don't think folks no, was that I, much I worse. Think, I think the, Saf- the South African pitchers, I think, could suit him. He's played some first class cricket out there as well. Uh, he's obviously in really, really good form for Middlesex mm. and really good form in T Twenty cricket, which seemed to have an impact first time around in Test cricket. Um, and he also, I think the fact that he's had a bit of sort of uh, like criticism of him could well serve to fuel him if uh, he does get a recall. What, what did cricket writers do when England were good? Because we, for us, we just talk about England's sides all the time. And I'd, well, I was around in these yeah. in these olden days. <laughs> yes. um, and we yeah, talked about it, why Ian Bell only got hundreds when someone else got hundreds. <laughs> yeah, they? that was baby. We just wrote that the whole time. Um, but it was when England just picked the squad at the same time. Then you'd come to like, who do we put on the front of the magazine? It's like, well, we've done everyone loads of times, and then. Uh, obviously, you'd like you'd like a settled side, but mm. for instance, having Mahmoud and Parkinson on, yeah. on the front cover a couple of months ago is really a nice, refreshing change to be able to do. Yeah. So yeah, you should be grateful that you I, live I in am. these. I am. I, um, it was the fact that we all chose the the same top seven that made me think about that. It's like, yeah. when was the last time that? Three of us would have agreed on the exact same top seven. That's partly though because they've sort of landed at top seven and not had a long enough Test series in New Zealand to drop <laughs> anyone. So it would be absurd to kind of mix it up now. That's, that's very fair. Which point as well? So I think one of the five of us picked Zach Crawley, and one of us picked Mahmood, and none of us picked Parkinson. But I think there's probably a feeling that for those guys, there's going to be more of a learning experience playing for the Lions than playing like sitting on the bench in a Test series, basically. Mm. Which yeah, that's. Like I, th- I there's obviously there's no suggestion that those guys aren't going to come back, and Parkinson maybe even for Sri Lanka, but yeah, I, think I think Parkinson almost certainly plays Parkinson's in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, elsewhere in international cricket, Australia and Pakistan contested the second and final test of their series in Adelaide. Australia won the game by an innings. There were two standout moments really. David Warner scored an unbeaten triple century and was declared on by his captain Tim Payne with a world record in his sights. The other notable moment was Yasir Shah. Yep, the leg spinner. He scored his maiden test century in Pakistan's first innings. Which one were you more excited about? Well, I have to say I haven't seen Yasir Shah's century and I'm not convinced it actually happened. How, d- how it did, did it happen? happen? It did how happen. did it happen? Well, the, the actual moment was with a sort of like spooned up shot over mid-off when he was trying to clear mid-on. Uh, I think it sounded like a bit of like a, a hack and slash kind of thing. Yeah. It's one of those things like, you know, when you go to sleep and you're sort of, you've been following a bit the test as you're falling asleep and so you wake up thinking like oh I wonder what's happened you think through a few permutations in your head and never does it cross your mind that Yasser Shah test centurion well I woke up and one of the first things I did was look at the scorecard still kind of half asleep and I was like what what is going on (laughs) yeah because the first thing you see is like Pakistan 320 whatever you're like okay I wonder how they've got there you look at it's like hang on (laughs) that's how it's a Utterly bizarre. So I, I think definitely that one. For me, the most exciting about David Warner's century isn't even that he was declared on, is that people are already trying to take the record off him by finding that at one point when he was around 250, he might have just run one short, <laughs> which, is a, which is brilliant. It was quite a, I thought it was quite a crucial innings for Yasser Shah. He had a bit of a shocker with the ball in the series. He got four wickets at 100 uh, and went at five runs and over during the series, but you can't drop him after 100, can you? No, and I mean, I mean he's got a horrendous record in Australia mm. from the previous series as well. Yeah, I think he broke the record for becoming the first bowler to concede more than 200 runs in an innings on three occasions. 
uh, during the Australia series. So yeah, wow. it's uh, really portable with the ball. Joe, where do you stand on the Tim Payne declaration? Um, why didn't he let Warren have a go at the world record? The way he was batting, it would have only taken another 15, 20 overs. Australia ended up winning the game with a day and a half to spare and only batted four sessions by the time of their first innings declaration. Um, I'm not sure how much I care. Uh, I know this, <laughs> sorry, I don't know if that's an acceptable answer, but it got lots of people very, very angry. Um, has, has Warner commented on it? I don't think so. So I, I don't really care either, but I kind of, I think Tim Payne has just done the declaration to kind of make a point that it's all about the team. Because yeah. ordinarily you don't you don't need to declare after 115, 120 overs. But he did also let him get past Bradman, which is frustrating more important than getting past. Yeah, it's offended which is a great. lot of people. I He's don't... managed to offend people both ways by both letting Warner score too quickly and not or letting Warner score too much and not score enough, which is brilliant. I think he's got it exactly right for exactly that reason. Um, do, do we know why Australians care so much about the three three four Bradman mark, particularly since that is no longer the Australian record because Hayden's got three eighty? Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you reckon there's a sort of feeling that the Hayden one doesn't really count because it was against Zimbabwe? Zimbabwe. Uh, I t- it's, it's, it's just odd. I think. I think no matter what, e- even if someone came along and averaged like 103, they'd probably still care about Bradman's like 9.94. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, David Warner having the highest test score ever would stick in the throat a little bit. So I guess in that sense, I'm pleased that Payne mm. declared. Yeah. Um, do you want to hear what Ricky Ponting said about Pakistan? Yes. Yeah. They have been poor. Their bowling attack is terrible. Do you do it in a Ricky Ponting impression? No, I can't really do it. <laughs> no, please um, don't. <laughs> they have been poor. Their bowling attack is terrible, really, for a test attack. I'm not sure I've seen a worse bowling attack on our shores in a long time. It's been quite... I think England's attack from the last Ashes series are pretty pleased with that. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> it has been quite a dramatic collapse from Pakistan. They were the number one ranked side in the world just three years ago. They're now eighth. What, what's happened? Yeah, they just they just keep losing series and I think I mean as concerning as this will be oh no so they never win test series in Australia uh, or tests at all or don't lose tests at all uh, so and there were some like positive signs with the bat at least that maybe one day they might draw one I think more more concern for them will be that they uh, uh, they just lose at home in the UAE now fairly regularly I mm. mean they struggled to get past like a pretty weak Australia when they toured and then lost to New Zealand um, I mean a lot of their batsmen are quite out of form. Asad Shafiq hasn't quite kicked on in the way that people hoped he would. And as a release form has just completely fallen off the table at times when you'd kind of expect them to kind of step up into that top realm of test bat- batsmanship. Um, Babrizar made a good series. He did, yeah. So, I mean, I guess you'd kind of hope that the same thing doesn't happen to him and that this, this is now the start mm. of him. Because, I mean, people are saying, I mean, not, not quite the same extent, but I remember when uh, Shafiq toured England and had a pretty good series here. Uh, people sort of saying that he looked like the most technically sound batsman in the Pakistan lineup, and maybe kind of like one of the most technically sound in the world. And it mm. just kind of hasn't quite happened for him. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot rests on Babrizam, and obviously he can't do it all by himself. And if it's if it's just Yasha Shastik with him each time, it's going to be a a few more test <laughs> series of feature. I mean, no one really had high hopes for them in that series. I don't think, uh, and it will be instantly forgotten if they can win. At home, at mm. a- actual home, in front of their home fans mm-hmm. uh, against Sri Lanka this month, um, which should be a really good series. I think they're they're two two sides that have got some exciting players, but also quite flawed in mm. in different ways, um, which should make for a really good. Um, I, I reckon some topsy turvy Test cricket. Sri Lanka have picked a full strength side as well, which is important because they didn't for the well they didn't for the T Twenties and the ODIs and still still won the T Twenties. <laughs> but yeah. Roshan Gida has written uh, an excellent piece on Wisdom.com. It's our it's our read of the week. 
Um, it's on whether Safraz can return to the Pakistan side despite the emergence of Mohammad Rizwan. Uh, Rizwan had a, had a really good series with the bats called 95 in the first test at Brisbane. Um, but as Ben, as Ben, you alluded to, Azarali had a had a really really poor series. So yeah. the, and and Safraz scored runs in the Pakistan domestic competition as well. Well, yeah, I think Ricky Ponting, it's just just tearing into Pakistan was really really critical of Azarali's captaincy. Uh, and yeah, Azarali, I think I think he averages less than 30 since the start of 2017, hmm. which is quite stark for someone who's got a test triple hundred. Well, he was pretty much the, the test opener of in, in the world at that at that point, best yeah. test opener in the world prior to that run. So, and I, and so for, for him to be going through that form and then to, that's what Russia is, for him to go through that form and then to uh, give him the test captaincy as well just seems like an ass too far. I don't, I don't think there's really a suggestion that Safraz will get any of the captaincies handed back, but if he if he had been in the side, I think... The feeling was that you needed like a clean break from him, perhaps. But if he had been in the side, it might have been that he was able to take some of the leadership burden off uh, Azrili a little bit, uh, which I think there is a, a, a point for. Also, I mean, if he's scoring a lot of runs in domestic, obviously this is just 100, but he obviously sees at the start of something. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. Russian says in the PC, told reporters afterwards, like, it's great to get back to form in domestic cricket, like very much implying, like, but now I can go back and do do the process. I think it depends on a lot of Mizbah, who ba- seems like he is basically all all powerful there at the moment as the selector and coach and that was basically his first big decision was to get rid of Safraz and if there's like it would be a bit of an about turn but I th- I think maybe a good one like I think that you kind of need they probably need all the experience they they can get at the moment and if Safraz is back in some sort of form we know I mean we know he's a brilliant batsman as well when he's uh when he is in form uh so I think that that might be a a, a good option for them to take yeah I'm just waiting for uh, Miss Bar's inevitable return to the the playing side. Oh, that'd be glorious, yeah. wouldn't it? Or just fielding in a Collingwood role, sort of. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, West Indies beat Afghanistan in a one-off test in India. Raheem Cornwall took ten wickets in the match. The big man, who described himself as more of a batsman than a bowler, was key to what was actually quite an impressive win for West Indies in tricky conditions. Uh, Afghanistan had beaten Bangladesh quite recently. West Indies' next test match. Any any guesses? When it is? Who it is against? Oh, should know this, shouldn't we? Mm, they've got Ireland at home, but that's just limited. They're playing India in one-day cricket, aren't they? So their next Test match is against England at the Oval in June. Uh-huh. Right. So that should be quite a good series, I think. I mean, given how West Indies did against England the last time England went to West Indies, yeah, and <laughs> and how England are struggling at the moment as well. That's actually be quite an exciting series. Joe, what's your moment of the week? My moment of the week was, um, I seem to be making my business talk about Shropshire cricket every time I come so on the podcast. So genuinely, we hadn't <laughs> mentioned Shropshire once in over a year of doing the podcast. Yeah. Now we haven't mentioned them. On now I talk three, about nothing else. Three, <laughs> it's the third time we mentioned <laughs> them in the, in the last three weeks. So yeah, the latest big news out of Shropshire cricket um, <laughs> is that they have signed Simon Kerrigan, uh, one-time England spinner, uh, very successful at Lancashire for several years. Obviously had that nightmare here where we sit at the Oval in 2013, where Shane Watson just biffed him all over the place and Kerrigan was throwing it head height and it was bouncing twice and never played for England again, but a lot of players have only played once for England. A lot of them go on to have successful county careers after that, but Kerrigan just, just never really recovered. It was a really sad thing to see. It was an awful, awful experience watching that unfold. And I think it's worth remembering at the time that he wasn't a wild card pick. He was the form English spinner and had been for a couple of years. And actually, the controversy really was that he hadn't been picked earlier, rather than the fact that he was thrown in for this for this Test series. Um, but I did recall, as I saw the news that Kerrigan's kind of trying to 
not exactly revive his career, but try and take some enjoyment from cricket and play at a slightly higher level because he's playing playing club cricket for mm. much of last year. And he's year. only 30 as well. Only 30, yeah. Um, but it, I did record, I was ghosting Mark Butcher's column during that 2013 Ashes series. And, and he said, when Kerrigan got picked, he said, I just don't think his action is that of a test match spinner. He just doesn't, doesn't think he looks durable enough, doesn't look repeatable enough. And I remember thinking at the time, that seems harsh because Kerrigan was taking 50 plus wickets every every season. I mean, how many spinners do that now in county cricket? Um, but it, it kind of came to pass. And how much of it was technical? I mean, to me, it looked more of a mental thing on, on that on that awful day um and yeah and his career never never recovered from that do you think it is as simple as saying those eight overs at the oval scarred him because he never really replicated what he did in counter cricket again for lancashire it's really hard to it's impossible to say without speaking to him it would be it'd be a really interesting interview i don't know if he's up for speaking about these experiences i wouldn't blame him at all if he if he doesn't want to but spinners do do have it does happen to spinners. I mean, I was thinking also that that column that Mark Butcher said uh, he didn't think Kerrigan should play. His his pick was Adam Riley of Kent at that time, and I mean he's had a similar experience over the last few years at Kent. Barely got a game. Um, action apparently was all over the place. Came back a little bit last year, but still hasn't played much at all for the last few years. And this it's a tough gig being a being a young spinner anywhere. It's a really tough gig being a young spinner in England where you don't necessarily get that many opportunities. And if your form starts to leave you, I can imagine it's quite hard to pull it back. Yeah, I mean, it's not talked about as much as the Haseeb Hamid story, um, but it, it's almost as dramatic. And I'm, I'm, I met him probably in 2011 or 2012 at an England Lions uh, training camp. And he was like life and soul of the party, cocky, but like in a nice way, kind of cheeky chappy. Um, bouncing off the walls, all the players seem to love him. So you wouldn't have looked at him and thought then that this is a player who would suffer from a crisis of confidence, mm. which is what seemed to happen. I think the the action point is an interesting one because, like, it, I think it can be both uh, sort of technical and mental. One can things. lead to another, right? Yeah, like if you don't have enough confidence in your action, or if there is sort of a a weakness in it, then it can be that much harder to repeat if you are suffering a bit of a confidence blow. So I think that's mm. a yeah, it's an interesting point, one that I hadn't heard, but yeah. But he, I mean, he effectively. He bowled Lancashire to the county championship title in 2011. Yeah, so he would have only been 22 at the time. Took nine wickets against Hampshire, which mm. was a massive win, which kind of led to them winning the title. So I, I don't know enough about spin bowling to comment really, but if the flaws in his action were that obvious, how was he so successful in county cricket? I, mm. I don't I don't really get that. Mm. And doing so well at a young age, quite often spinners don't peak until their exactly, late 20s. Yeah. Or I mean, he should be peaking was, now yeah, rather than yeah. getting a new gig at a minor county. Yeah. I mean, if his career went on the trajectory that people expected it to in 2012, 2013, he'd be he'd be on this tour to Stranger coming up, etc. Yeah. Was, yeah. Elsewhere, Tim Murta has retired from international cricket with Ireland and has instead committed himself to Middlesex for another couple of years. Am I right in saying that no one's taken more first-class wickets than Murta this century? You are. Uh, well, first-class wickets in England. In England, in England yeah. this century. Um, ben, were you surprised by the decision? Uh... No, no, not after Peter Hanscom was announced as Middlesex's overseas player and captain. I thought there might have been an argument for Middlesex keeping Mertron as an overseas for next Lambeth season. Lambeth-born overseas. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, it's, and it sounds like Tim Mertron kind of always told Middlesex that he would choose them over Ireland if it ever came to it. I just think it is a shame that it has come to it, really. And I think it's interesting, I mean, as you say, Lambeth-born are now effectively, in a way, having kind of his ability to work restricted in the UK uh, there it would have been an interesting legal 
case if any of the Irish players had chosen to challenge it, I think, is the indication that you get from looking at what people who are more uh, involved in the situation say about it. But I know Cricket Ireland felt that it was something for the players to challenge and not them. I think a lot of the players have maybe just felt, well, I mean, is it almost is it worth the trouble? I can like I can kind of make a living doing either and mm. I'll just I'll just make my choice and make my peace with it. So I think I think the ECB have like they've dodged something kind of either way. I mean, even if they'd won the legal case, it would have still been. I think they'd have had to make the argument for why it was a a good thing strongly in court. And I, I don't, or at least people would have asked that question. And I I don't quite see what harm it does, considering how few Irish players would be playing in mm. county cricket. There's, there's an argument that in the in the long run, this could be good for Irish cricket because their first class system is going to have to now stand on its own feet and produce players. And that is but, that is an argument that Warren Dutram, yes, the uh, Cricket Ireland chief executive, is he chief executive? I think that's right. Yeah, um, has has made himself as well. So Ireland do see some potential benefits, but there is something odd about Tim Murta. Lambeth born, yeah. Lambeth born being, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, I think what you said as well. Paul Sterling said that when he made the decision the other way. Yes, yeah. He just, he said, yeah, it's. Do you use the word baffling uh, for for the decision? Which is yeah, I think. But Paul Sterling as well might we might not have seen the last of him in county cricket. I think there are some murmurs that he might play for Middlesex as an overseas in the T Twenty mm. Blast, which I think would be a nice kind of almost ending to this whole story that Irish players now can't play as non-overseas and some of them are now good mm. enough. Obviously, we had Boyd Rankin last year as well. But, yeah. but, and this but, is it as well because we're, t- we're talking about it's, it's a sad thing that Ireland are losing some the services of someone like Murta. But actually, it's a sad thing for county cricket to lose someone like Paul Sterling who's mm. been consistently one of the most exciting batsmen in, in, the, in certainly in T20 and 50 over cricket too over the last few years. And and that's a real blow. Like County cricket can't really afford to be losing mm. exciting talents like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, guess, I guess for the ECB, they, would, they might say that Paul Sterling is no different to a, a Colpack player in a way and is like taking an opportunity away from someone who would be able to play for England if required. And maybe there's some merit to the argument. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree that on balance, it's, it's a blow for Canterbury. It would be quite interesting if, if a player did pursue to take take legal action or whatever, because Tim Murta is somebody who's got a guaranteed county contract if he chooses to play for the Middlesex. Paul Sterling is somebody who can make a lot of money around the world playing in T20 gigs. So it's not, I guess, essential to his livelihood, whereas it might be the case for some some younger players who who have perhaps not played much county cricket yet. Yeah, well, I wonder, Stuart Point is the other one that's chosen to uh, play county cricket rather than Ireland. Mm. And, I mean, his overall record is not as impressive as either of those two. So he is one that will need to do more to justify contract extensions or team moves and stuff. Mm. So he's one that you might... I, I don't know if he if he lost a county gig, if he could just go back to Ireland. I think that that, that seems to be the case with the Colpac players in South Africa, so I imagine that would be the case with him. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's a, yeah, I agree it would be very interesting for anyone to challenge it. Um, we'll finish with some IPL auction news. Joe Root has not put himself forward for this month's IPL auction. Um, is, this, is this to get a break, or do you think he knew that he probably wasn't going to be picked up? Feels a bit like Andy Cole retiring for international football uh, when he hadn't played for about five years. I don't think Root was going to get a gig in the IPL. Mm. Uh, he, he played in the Big Bash, didn't he, last year and, and didn't go particularly... Was that last year or two years ago? Yeah, last year. Last winter, yeah. Didn't go particularly well at all. Uh, I don't think it would have been at the top of most wanted lists uh, in the IPL. That said, I'm sure there was also taken into account the fact that he needs a break at mm. some point. Um, he, more than most of this England side, looks understandably tired certainly did after that World Cup um, so I think 
a break will hopefully do him some good if he does indeed get a break or play some county championship cricket for, for Yorkshire. Agree with that? Uh, yeah, I do. I think we might be seeing the doors just close, not not on because he's not good enough, but just because the opportunity is going to get to play T20 cricket on Roots T20 World Cup ambitions. I mean, he's not going to get much chance to play the T20 Blast if he's playing for England. Similarly with the 100, he only gets to play a few rounds of it, I think. Uh, and then if he gets if he gets rested from some T20Is, or even if he plays them, that's still going to be a whole heap of opportunities in which he's basically going to have to get a few scores to justify his inclusion in that squad. So I think almost because of opportunity rather than uh, whether he's good enough or not, he might miss out on that squad. And this is the latest like sort of step in that direction, I think. And Milan doing so well in New Zealand. I mean, it seems like they're vying for one spot, really, doesn't it? You think in that squad? Yeah. Maybe in the team rather than the squad? Yeah. Possibly because, yeah, people are suggesting Vince might get in that squad as well and he has a, a similar sort of role to play uh, but yeah England are also just stacked in that in that particular slot and yeah. it might it might be that even if Root is in one of the best two or three that it's best for England English cricket as a whole if he does just mm. stop playing T20 so that he can get the breaks he needs to flourish in the other two I guess I kind of feel because Joe Root is Joe Root if he gets one significant score in T20 cricket or in the 100 between now and the announcement of the T20 World Cup squad next year he will go it'll be quite hard to, I mean, I can, it's quite hard from an English player to, to drop Joe Root, given how fundamentally he is to all of the cricket. Yeah, although Morgan has shown himself to be to be quite ruthless. Uh, Morgan will want his best team there, and he might well think that Root is in that mm. in, in that squad. But if he doesn't, there will be no. Uh, they won't take reputations into account. He'll just want the best players around him. Well, that's all for today's show. Don't forget to head to beer52.com forward slash wisdom to claim your ten free beers. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. And if you're feeling extra nice, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast app for choosing. Cheers. Smack the magazine. Sports Social Podcast Network.